0: Beautiful song about a beautiful Savior and the joy and privilege of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to Gentiles. And indeed, those that are fully at home here in the world that uh, love the world and the things of the world, uh, don't find Jesus' message very attractional. In fact, if, if this world seems good and all that's in it, then Jesus seems quite unnecessary. But although the world was created good, the Bible is clear, the Genesis account, the creation account that God created and it was good, we know that sin entered the world and corrupted the world. And as a result, we, we need a Savior and thank God he is a God who saves, he is a God who rescues, he is a God who redeems, and he has sent his Son to earth to do just that. In fact, Galatians chapter 1, opening verses, Paul is writing to believers, and he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and our Father. Thank God that He is a rescuing God. He is a God who saves. And those who have been saved by grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, experience salvation here and now, saved from guilt, saved from shame, restored to a right relationship with God through Christ. But we also know that We want to experience the fullness of that salvation, the ramifications of that salvation until the Lord returns. And so this morning we have opportunity to look at uh, what that will be like, what it will be like for believers in heaven gathered around the throne of God, praising Him for all of eternity. So let me invite you to open your Bible with me to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, which if you're using... A Pew Bible, and certainly would encourage you to, if you don't have a Bible with you, it should be on page 995. So I invite you to look at Revelation 7 with me as we continue looking at the end of uh, the written record of God's story. So as you find your place there, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, God's Word reads, this way, And remember that this is John who has received this revelation, this compilation of visions, and he is recording what he saw. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And, The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we do ask you now to guide us in understanding the truths of your word. Father, I pray that you would take uh, my imperfect mind and the words that I utter and somehow go before them and Speak to us, guide us by your spirit, that we might catch a glimpse of this vision of heaven. And Lord, that we might be in awe of you, that we might be encouraged and strengthened to faithfulness to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I want to read a few names to you uh, this morning as we begin. James, son of Zebedee. Stephen. Peter, Andrew, Thomas, Polycarp, Perpetua, Felicity, Ignatius, William Tyndale, Thomas Cranmer, Oliver Plunkett, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Cassie Bernal, Hani abdel Masihah, Yusuf Shukri, Malak Ibrahim Sinweet, Harold Nichols, and Randy Hensel. All of these men and women have something very significant in common, and that is that every one of these men and women are believed to have been killed for professing faith in Jesus Christ. These Christian martyrs span the centuries, the 2,000 years of the church's existence from various nationalities. And as we reflect on their lives, as we hear names such as that, we may be tempted to think that their lives were were wasted, that they were taken far too soon. But the picture here in God's word of Revelation chapter 7 is a beautiful picture of lives like theirs gathered around the throne of God, experiencing protection and security and guidance And satisfaction and fulfillment from the King. They are not wasted lives, for they are faithful lives, men and women who gave their life following the Lamb, following Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we look at God's Word this morning, we'll see that the faithful will enjoy the splendor of heaven. The faithful, those who are faithful to Christ, those who follow Christ, recognizing that He is Lord, that He is Savior, will enjoy the splendor, the majesty, the beauty, the provision and satisfaction and joy of, of heaven. You know, the way of Jesus is not uh, the way of the world. The Jesus way and the world way are often set in contrast. Like Jesus, remember, was praying to His Father on behalf of His followers and saying that they were in the world. Living in the world, but not of the world. They were different from the world. Yet the world says, settle down here. This is it. Eat, drink, and be merry here. Jesus says, come and follow me. Serve me and participate in making my name famous throughout the world. And the world says, serve yourself. Make yourself famous. The Jesus way and the world way are not the same, yet the Jesus way is God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. And the way of Jesus, the Jesus way is far more fulfilling. It's far more satisfying. If you don't believe me, try it. Don't try the world's way. We've all tried the world's way in some form or another. But try the Jesus way. The Jesus way satisfies. The Jesus way fulfills. The Jesus way is far more lasting. So we are called to imitate Jesus and those who have faithfully followed him. And so we have a picture here in Revelation 7 of God's people and of those who have faithfully followed Christ. So... So what does it look like to imitate them? What, what do they look like? Well, here we have a, a vision. We have a picture that God's people are multiracial and they're multinational and they're multicultural. Meaning what? Meaning that the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. It is the news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And it is a message that is for all people. Every ethnicity and every culture, every every background. It is a message for all. You don't have to spend much time in the book of Revelation to see that numbers in Revelation are often used and have some significance and often used in a symbolic fashion. And we mentioned the last time we were together, last Sunday, that uh, this 24 elders, these 24 elders that are... Uh, that come up in Revelation. In Revelation four and five, and again the elders are referenced here in chapter seven, uh, are interpreted in different ways. A couple different major schools of thinking regarding these elders, and I think the most natural interpretation is to see that these elders are representative of the people of God. Twelve tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, and twelve apostles in the New Testament, signifying that God's unified story of Redemption spans the Bible, spans his scripture. And so these are folks that are in heaven, will be in heaven, representing the community of believers. And then again here in chapter 7, beginning of this chapter, which we did not read, we're introduced to another number, the 144,000 from various tribes of, of Israel. And again, a couple popular ways of understanding this, and I think really that's beside the point, but I think what we have here in chapter seven between the one hundred and forty four thousand and the great multitude is similar to what we have in Chapter Five with the lion and the lamb. So remember chapter five, John is told that there is one who can open this important scroll. there's one who can reveal the rest of god 's truth, the rest of his story is told that it 's a lion of the tribe of Judah, and he turns, and what does he see he doesn 't see a lion, but he sees a lamb. Well, likewise, here in chapter 7, he hears of this 144,000, and he turns and he looks, and what does he see? He sees a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So I think the 144,000 and the great multitude meant to convey the same thing, the same people. These are God's people, both Jewish and Gentiles, who span the generations and span the Racial differences and national differences and cultural differences and ethnic differences who have gathered around the throne to worship God. And in the greater context of God's word, this ought to take us far back to the beginning of his word. God appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and he told him that his descendants would be like the stars of heaven. And then again in Genesis chapter 17, he told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and Here, indeed, in heaven, John sees and we see through the written record of God's word that indeed there will be many nations who have been grafted into God's people and enjoy the privilege of knowing and following him. After all, that's consistent with what Jesus said, is it not? Remember that conversation that Jesus had with His disciples just before He left the earth? He'd been crucified on the cross for their sins, for our sins, for the sins of the world. And He'd been raised back to life by the power of God from the dead. And He appeared to His disciples. And He told them, He said, All authority has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have Commanded you. And he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, here, as John is receiving this vision and then passing along this truth to other churches in the first century and then now throughout the centuries, John must have been encouraged by this vision. Living under a somewhat oppressive regime in the first century, living under a domineering Roman emperor constantly putting political and religious pressure on believers to compromise their faith in in Christ. And here, John sees this vision, the fulfillment of God's plans, the fulfillment of the Great Commission and likewise church. We ought to be encouraged by this vision in our day as well. In a day when great racial and religious tension and Hostility. We are reminded from the truth of God's Word that He is the God of the nations. That He is not the God of blacks and He is not the God of whites. He is not the God of Asia and He is not the God of America. He is the God of the nations and He will be worshiped by people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Jesus saves people from every ethnicity and every language and every culture. So because he is the God of the nation's church, let's share Christ with all types of people. Let's share Christ with all types of of people. We don't have the luxury or the privilege of picking and choosing who we think is worthy of hearing the message of the gospel. Or of who we think might respond favorably to Jesus. That's not our prerogative. The truth is that none of us are likely candidates for responding favorably to Jesus without the Spirit of God convicting us of our sin and need for a Savior. You see, to be a believer in Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. There is no distinction in the New Testament church or the church today. To believe in Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a missionary of Jesus. So let's participate in the great privilege of God's mission, sharing and showing the love of Christ to the people of the world. For the faithful will enjoy the splendor of heaven. So let's live like this good news is for all. Everyone we encountered, but knowing that not all will respond favorably to the message. In fact, we know that some will adamantly oppose The message. We see that even indirectly right here from Revelation chapter 7. For After John sees this vision of this great multitude. From every nation, tribe, people and language. One of the elders, verse 13 in heaven asks him. He says, these in white robes, this multitude. Who are they and where did they come from? John takes the easy way out here. He doesn't even make an attempt to answer. He says, sir, you know. And the elder said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, the central paradox of our faith, the central paradox of the Christian faith, is that salvation comes through sacrifice. Salvation comes through the sacrifice. And this counters our natural human tendency, right? The human tendency is to pursue power and might for the sake of influencing others, lording over others, exercising authority over, over others. But Jesus comes in weakness and in sacrifice. comes in humility, laying down His life for the world that we might have eternal life in Him. The Jesus way is the way of suffering and the way of sacrifice. It's a way of service for the good of others and the glory of God. And one of the recent editions of the Over the Mountain Journal, one local church was described as a powerhouse. Certainly not criticizing uh, that writer, that church. uh, And we understand what's being communicated there, but how ironic to describe a household of faith, servants of Jesus Christ as a powerhouse we are servants of the king called to serve him and worship him and exalt his name and to live for him rather than ourselves these here in revelation chapter 7 who are gathered around the throne are described as those who have come out of the great tribulation you know throughout the book of revelation worship and judgment are continually contrasted we see pictures of both back and forth back and forth those who believe in this Lamb, those who follow Jesus and rightly respond to Him are worshiping Him. They are bowing down before Him, proclaiming His greatness, proclaiming His might. While others who are opposed to Him and who have rejected Him, who are characterized by evil and wicked in this world are experiencing the judgment of God. The judgment of God is punishment for sin, but also as Punishment that's meant to correct and to prod to repentance. This building of God's judgment throughout this book. It's not all of a sudden at once completely unleashed. It's a building meant to cause the wicked to repent before the final outpouring of God's wrath. But as the wicked, as the evil, carry out their ways in the world, the righteous... Followers of the Lamb, followers of Jesus experience suffering and persecution as a result. Suffering that's not judgment from God on believers, but suffering that is allowed by God for a time. Just as Jesus experienced suffering, just as Jesus experienced opposition, just as Jesus experienced persecution, we too can expect the same as his followers. Now we can certainly make a case, a a good case that the political climate and cultural landscape of our day seems to be increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus, increasingly hostile to to the gospel. We can also make a pretty good case that it was very hostile to the gospel in the first century. Domineering emperor, pressuring believers to renounce their faith in Christ and bow down and worship Him. But regardless, as believers in Jesus, we don't need to get too discouraged about this. We don't need to lose hope in the face of of this. We don't need to panic. I'll say this very straightforward this morning. Even if Hillary Clinton is elected, believers don't need to panic. Or even if Donald Trump is elected, Believers don't need to, to panic because our hope is not here. It is elsewhere. It is not in a political leader or a political system or any earthly authority. It is in Jesus Christ our Lord, the hope of eternal life. Let's put our hope in him for we know that our light and momentary troubles, same word for tribulations, our light and momentary tribulations are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, right, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. The reality is that this world has been opposed to the message of Jesus ever since Jesus was here, and it will continue to be opposed to the message of Jesus until Jesus returns We will experience tribulation. We will experience suffering. We will experience opposition here. And the Bible conveys that that will be intensified toward the final days before Christ's return. But the good news is that those who know the hope of Christ don't succumb to the pressure. They don't turn their backs on Jesus. They continue following Jesus. Those who know Jesus will persevere by following the Jesus way. So let's imitate the Jesus way. Let's imitate the Jesus way. The Jesus way is the way of faithfulness, it's the way of sacrifice. And we know that the faithful will enjoy the splendor of heaven. So, what is the Jesus way? Well, the Jesus way is not showy, the Jesus way is not uh, all about attraction, it's not the way of worldly power, it's not entertainment driven. It's not always the successful business model, but it's the way of sacrifice. And those who follow the Jesus way don't don't sacrifice faithfulness for status in the world. Those who follow the Jesus way don't cash in public faith for personal comfort. Those who follow the Jesus way don't renounce the gospel for the sake of personal advancement or selfish, self, self-centered self interest. Those who follow the Jesus way don't put their ultimate hope in any earthly leader, but they put their hope in the God who rules and reigns over all and the God who calls us to know and follow after him. Those who follow the Jesus way know the hope of Jesus Christ, imitating the attitude and the joy of, first century believers, apostles themselves, who were arrested and beaten, as recorded in Acts chapter 5, by the authorities of their day, for spreading the news about Jesus, for faithfulness to Jesus, and they left, the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, following Christ is costly. The cost of true discipleship Is not cheap, which is why only those who know Jesus will follow Jesus. Only those who know Jesus will remain faithful to Jesus. Salvation comes through sacrifice, yet the saved enjoy God's presence and protection forever. That's good news. The saved, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, enjoy God's presence and his protection forever. Forever. So contrast this picture here in Revelation chapter 7, final verses, verses 15 through 17, with what we see and experience in the world. Therefore, verse 15, this multitude are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is a picture of all of our needs and even all of our wants. Although our wants will drastically changed no doubt in the presence of Jesus but all of our wants and needs provided for by our God for all of eternity that we will dwell in his presence and enjoy the fullness of his presence and his protection and security and satisfaction in him because he came to dwell with us the faithful will enjoy the splendor of heaven for that is where our Savior, Jesus, is. You know, the events of recent days and weeks, certainly even go back beyond that, are quite troubling here on earth. Another terrorist attack in France, gross devaluing of human life, military coup in Turkey, growing distrust among some regarding law enforcement in our nation, increasingly polarized political parties, two men arrested and imprisoned in Laos for sharing the gospel, a pastor confronted in Colombia by the National Liberation Army, guerrilla armies, demanding payment, demanding funding from several churches in order for them to receive protection and safety and provision, this is an unstable world that we live in. We know this. And our task as followers of Jesus is to promote the goodness and the glory of Christ to the world. To help the world see the greatness of God. The grace of God as it has been displayed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also know that this world will never be fully transformed apart from One. And that is Jesus Himself. And so while we work for the good and transformation of our communities and our culture to reflect the glory of God and the grace of God, we know that ultimately that will not happen until Jesus Christ returns. So let's long for the Savior's return. Let's look forward to the day that the Redeemer comes again and gathers His people into His presence around His throne forevermore. Experiencing Him. But as long as we are here, we imitate Him. We imitate the Jesus way in our thinking and our walking and our living and our working. But we don't get too comfortable here, for we know this is not our home and we long for the Lord's return, the day that He will protect and provide. For his people to the fullest extent. The day that there will be no more heartache. There will be no more tears. That there will be no more hunger. That there will be no more thirst. That there will be no more danger. For we will be in the presence of our maker. And this vision that John received. That we have now received through God's word. Ought to encourage us. To remain faithful to the end. This vision gives us hope for living in the present today. The faithful will enjoy the splendor of heaven because Jesus has provided redemption and abundant and eternal life. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know that Savior? Have you trusted in Him? Do you know His provision? Do you know the joy and satisfaction of serving Him Finding comfort and hope in Him. Do you long for His return? You know, I remember even as a child, this grappling with this concept that, that Jesus was coming again. And that He could come at any moment. I remember feeling like I was supposed to pray for Him to come. And as only a child would, I remember thinking, Lord, please, please come soon, but don't come too soon. I still want to go to my friend's house on Friday night this week. I still want to go on that vacation this year. I still want to do this or that. You know, from a Christian perspective, how foolish that is. For those who know the Savior, long for the Savior. There is nothing like being in the presence of the Savior. So let's long for His return together. Let's join with John and other believers throughout this century. And say, "Come, Lord Jesus." Let's pray, Father. We we do long for you, what as your Word instructs us to. We have we have tasted and we have seen that you are good, Lord, and that there is nothing that compares to knowing you and walking with you and living for you. So, Father, I pray that you would give us perspective of life an abundant life, a fulfilling life, of satisfying life in Jesus day after day as we walk through this world as your followers. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be loving. Help help us to be full of grace and full of truth. Lord, help us to honor you and long for your return. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.